Christians should not have this thought, am I really a Christian? Right. And, and so, and, and so you're, there's this constant striving to be really, really good, which I'm not saying you shouldn't try to be good, but there's this constant striving to, to, to really, really be good in order to show yourself to be a believer. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Landon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today to introduce a special episode of the show. My usual co-hosts, Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and I are on vacation for Thanksgiving, so we're happy to share with you this conversation that Matt had recently with Father James Gad of Holy Cross Church in Franklin, Tennessee, a parish in the Episcopal Missionary Church. James is also the host of the Barely Protestant YouTube channel. In this conversation, Matt and James discuss the doctrine of assurance and how it connects to baptism. They talk about the objective nature of Christ's promises versus our often subjective views of the quality of our faith. And even though they disagree a bit on some of the details, they both have good news to share about Jesus's saving work for sinners. Enjoy their conversation. I'm with uh, Father James Gadd, who's a friend of mine, and I've, I've uh, known him online. I don't think I've ever met in person, but we've had we've had several. No, I don't think so. I had a, cu- a couple of. Uh, I think I was on your show twice, um, and yeah. that was a, a good a good time. And I don't have a show personally, but I thought the last discussion we had on Facebook book was really interesting and I thought it'd be good to have a, a, a time to just discuss that together and uh, see where we go. The discussion that we were in on Facebook had to do with the question of assurance of salvation and how that relates to faith and to baptism. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Father James, but let me just see if I can articulate the position that you were you're holding. That That is it. Unless we hold to baptismal regeneration in the sense that at baptism all the promises of Christ are conferred on the baptized person unless we uh, hold that there's no real solid ground for a Christian to be assured of his or her justification, his or her place in the kingdom of God. Is that, is that basically your position? Uh, It's close, but not quite. I I won't doubt that if someone has um, that, that if someone has faith in being able to trust in Christ without bap- the, the resting upon the promises founded within baptism, I'm not going to try to take that away from them, at least as far as I can see. Uh, and maybe this is back to my background growing up and everything, but as far as I can see, I don't understand how there can be objective assurance outside of a promise given to God to me rather than a sort of uh, psychological state within myself, if that makes sense. It does. Um, maybe so people, people listening can understand the terms we're kind of throwing around here. When you say, when I say baptismal generation, what do you think that term means? I believe that whether or not someone is regenerated prior at some point to the baptism, I'm not saying that that can't happen, but by the time someone is validly baptized, which is Trinitarian baptism, by the time someone is validly baptized, that person has definitely received regeneration. Do you believe that that happens even if the person doesn't have faith at that point? Is that correct? Um, 
that gets into a really odd situation to where like the faith is being enacted by being baptized, right? So I, I, it reminds me of when I uh, was an undergrad and I, I knew of a, an atheist who was really fascinated by religion. And he asked me the question like, hey, I wanna sort of experience what someone's experiencing as a Christian when they're going undergoing baptism. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about me getting baptized? But like, you know, even though I have no, you know, desire to actually follow the faith and stuff like that, I'm like, it's not the same thing. What I know is that just because you are baptized does not mean that you are automatically going to heaven once saved, always saved. You got your ticket punch, right? No one would ever say anything like that, that I know of. What we are saying is that one can still fall away from the faith. Now, if someone is baptized but throughout that entire process just never has faith that that's just such an odd sort of scenario i i imagine that maybe you know you're they're united to the body of christ objectively but they're just immediately spurning it so maybe it's something in that sort of situation i wouldn't have a sort of specific dogmatic position on that but i don't think that that person can rest assured in his baptism as he is rejecting it by you know, he's rejecting it by rejecting faith the, the the Lutheran position, if I'm correct, is very similar to that because the Lutheran position is that baptism confers the faith to the person, and so and so at that the justifying the reason baptism ends in justification is because even if if a, if a baby didn't have or an infant didn't have the faith in Christ beforehand, now now he or she does. Is that correct? How is you is that kind well, of what you're saying? So no, not quite. Because if you look at okay. the catechism, so okay. we're, those are these are two different situations. The first right. one that um, uh, was like sort of the person who just doesn't care about Christianity is just go, undergoing it for whatever reason. The second one is the infant who is receiving baptism. And if you look in the catechism of uh, uh, 1571 or, or whichever that, that one, you see in the catechism that it's talking about how the faith of the family. The, of the parents, those who are in charge of the child, take hold for that child. And so the child grows up into the faith. So that faith is what what sort of, you know, helps them along, I guess you'd say. So the baptism is received by faith is just received by the faith of the of the parents at that Of point. the parents until that child can grow into it himself. Okay. And, and when the child does grow into it himself, uh, would that be as the consequence of baptism in your view? Um, yes, I, not solely, but that uh, I would say necessarily, yeah. Okay, okay, interesting. So now, and this does have a, right, you, you mentioned a minute ago, you know, falling away, the possibility of falling away. Yes. It, it, one, I think, necessary corollary of, of this point of view of baptism is that it's possible for someone to have genuine genuine faith and be baptized and then and then to fall away and, and end up being condemned eternally because... Um, because we have just experientially, you know, millions of people who've been baptized, and, yeah. and 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 not all of them have maintained the faith throughout their lives. So, yeah. and I think this is where this is this is one of those areas. I think the reason I was interested in this conversation at first is because you know I, I personally believe the Bible does teach that a person who comes to faith will be preserved in that faith until the end of his or her life, and that that all that belief also requires a view of baptism that's going to be different than different than yeah. yours i would ha i would have to say which i do say 
is that um, at, at baptism, there is something objective that goes on. I think you mentioned it a minute ago. You're joined to the covenant body of Christ that's not subject to a person's subjective faith at all. You're, the baptism actually joins you to the church. But then I would say that baptism, the full benefits of the baptism are received by faith when a person trusts in Jesus later on in his or her life. That's when the the full saving effect of the promises that God gives, Jesus gives through baptism come into play. And so then that would make it consistent with the idea of a, pres of a, a preservation. So we have like, so two right might have Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it, uh, one clarification before we get to the preservation yeah. question. Uh, so are you saying, because uh, go, you know, growing up Baptist and having sort of my debates with my Calvinist tulip really um, Baptist friends and all that, uh, the big thing for them, and I think this goes back to Sproul, R.C. Sproul, uh, is the question of does uh, regeneration precede faith or does faith precede regeneration? And it seems like you're saying that it's uh, faith that precedes regeneration, whereas I'm putting regeneration preceding faith. Actually, I, I do believe regeneration has to precede faith, um, but I don't think I don't I don't make a necessary link between spiritual regeneration and baptism. So that regeneration okay. could take place any time in a person's life. I, it does sometimes take place during and through baptism. It's just not a necessary, not a necessary thing. And and again, the reason for that is if you if you accept the order salutis of of the reform view, then the people God regenerates are also the people God justifies, and the people God justifies He also glorifies. Yeah. So you, you have to you have to have a, a the golden chain of Romans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, just, Romans. it just seems that if you're yeah, it just seems that if you're sort it, it sounds, and, and I've heard this with a few different people, it sounds like uh, when sort of faith is the active thing, which I, I believe faith is active, right? But faith seems to be the thing that triggers the regeneration. It almost sounds like oftentimes. Well, I would say faith is impossible without it, right? So, so you can't, I would say no one can possibly yeah. come to faith unless they've been regenerated. Regener faith is the thing. I think scripture teaches that actually takes hold of Christ, right? And, and and that's not a special Calvinist thought. That's a Lutheran. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. pretty general Reformed. Or I'm sorry, Reformation view of the, um, yeah. of the of the function of faith. It's a spiritual taking hold of Christ. So, but but the point of new birth preceding that is that it 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 enables a will that had once been bound by sin to to turn and trust in Jesus, which that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Um, does that make sense? Kind of. It, it's just, I don't know. It, it seems simpler I, and maybe it's too simple, but it just seems simpler to point to all of the language of, of uh, regeneration that's tied to baptism, you know, Titus 3, 5 and, and such, uh, uh, John 3, 5, um, Romans 6. And just saying, well, that's what Scripture tells us that that regeneration happens. Not that it can only ever happen there, but we we know that baptism is tied to regeneration. So let's just keep that there. And if there are any sort of outliers, we can say, well, like it doesn't say it's only then, but we have to at least admit that it is then. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I do I don't deny at all that that the language of regeneration is certainly tied to baptism in the scriptures. That's, that's the one. Okay. I don't, I don't deny that. It's, I guess it's the question of, um, of the sacramental thing that the thing water signifies. It, this goes back to Augustine. In my view, Augustine, I think mm -hmm. even said that 
all the sacraments, both, well, I would say both sacraments, um, are received by faith. So that the only, the only, the reason communion is effective in the soul of a believer is because he is taking hold of Christ by faith through, uh, through the bread and the wine. And I would say the same thing is true with, with baptism. All the things that are signified by baptism are taken hold of in faith through baptism. In through faith, the baptism becomes uh, not just something signified, but also something actual in the in the life of of the Christian. Okay. So, one of the interesting things about our discussion about this had to do with with assurance, and and um, and you, one of the things I really appreciate about you, and I think we agree on this, is. I appreciate this about the Lutheran tradition is, is it does take the burden and weight focusing on the objective promises, the sacraments, the things that that Christ has attached his promise to takes the burden off of the subjective person for being sure he or she is, is, is saved. Right. So the, Mm -hmm. so uh, in, in some, not all, but in some circles of Puritanism, there's this kind of, Navel Navel gazing. Gazing, yeah, I mean, I, do fruit checking, you know, if I, oh my goodness, I just had this thought, Christians should not have this thought, am I really a Christian, yeah. right? And, and so, and, and so you're, there's this constant striving to be really, really good, which I'm not saying you shouldn't try to be good, but there's this constant striving to, 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 to really, really be good in order to show yourself to be a believer, to be a Christian. And I, I don't, I don't think that's, what the the new testament means when it says to to test yourself to see if you're approved i don't think it means to constantly be yeah. uh, navel gazing to see whether or not you're pure enough um because the reality is if you really saw yourself in light of the holiness and the goodness of christ you would you, you god mercifully doesn't allow us to see all of that <laughs> we're, we're too yeah, blind to our, <laughs> so, so there's there's i mean we would be we would be walking around just miserable at how, how horribly simple we are because we still are as christians mm-hmm. um so so i really appreciate your emphasis on the objective signs and tokens of christ's promises and how those bring assurance to the doubting soul i really do and i agree with you there i think on facebook our big argument became whether the doctrine of baptismal regeneration, as you've articulated it, is a necessary component of that. Because I think you were saying, without that doctrine of, of regeneration, you're just left with almost fruit-checking your faith. Like, do I, have, do I have enough faith today to say I'm really a Christian? Oh, no, I, I'm going through a period of doubt. Oh, no, I'm going through a dark night of the soul. Oh no! Uh, I did I do I really believe that Jesus walked on water? Oh, do I do I? So you're yeah. so there could be this kind of crisis that a Christian goes through, um, and that you're saying in that crisis, if you can look back and 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 say, look, it's not up to me having this subjective experience of faith. It's it's there's this objective reality that I was I was washed, I was baptized, I was brought into mm-hmm. the covenant. And that that's what I can trust in right now. Is that, is that kind of yeah. that be a good articulation of your position? Yeah, if I could add a little bit to that. Yeah. So um, you, you hit the nail on the head specifically with like the dark night of the soul thing. So there are people who never have those dark nights of the soul. Maybe it's because they're just far better than I am as a Christian. That could be it. But 
to just sort of blanket demand, uh, and I'm not saying you're saying this, but like to blanket demand that everybody just look to their faith, right? That's that's all well and good when your faith is strong, but when your faith is weak and you are just going through a, a horrible time in your life and maybe it's your own cause, maybe it's others, uh, the cause of others outside of you, it's it, it doesn't seem enough, at least in my subjective experience, it doesn't seem enough to just say, well, I have faith because I'm, I'm questioning whether even God loves me or not. Like, I'm just, you know, if I'm in that such a deep, horrifying experience, I don't know if God loves me. Um, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know what it means to have enough faith. Like, how do you measure that? You know, it talks about the grain of mustard seed uh, on one level, but like, then it's, is it even genuine faith? Because one of the things that happens is, you know, you'll see people who apostatize, and I've seen this growing up as a Baptist, where uh, they were, you know, faithful members, it seemed, and, you know, living the Christian life. And then suddenly they just, well, I've, uh, you know, I, I've been sleeping with the secretary. I'm thinking specifically of one pastor I had, one of a few. <laughs> you know, I've been sleeping with the secretary and, you know, we're, we're, we're running off together and I'm not a Christian. I don't even believe in God. And so it's just like, you know, the, like their entire time they just had a fake faith that like how do you tell the difference and did they know that they had a fake faith i know people uh, i have another one who went from being a solid evangelical who wanted to evangelize he wanted to be an evangelist and he and i knew each other from you know, from college and after a few years just started questioning 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 and left his wife uh left his quote gender identity and became all sorts of crazy different sexes, just crazy life. Um, and now is literally homeless. And just, I, I knew him when he was a, a solid Christian and by all accounts, he seemed to have a genuine faith. And, you know, I don't, I can't go into his mind and everything, but like, that makes me then question like, well, what about my own faith? You know, is it a solid real enough faith or is it something that maybe I've tricked myself into thinking is a real faith but is not, which is why I, I say, I can't just look to my own subjective experience. I have to look to what God has promised me in, in baptism, the baptism, because I can't baptize myself. It's not a work that I do. It's something that had to be done to me. So yeah, that's, that's, um, that's one of the great things about baptizing babies is it, it gives that picture of this is, a, this is God's doing, not, not, not the baby's doing or our doing. This is God um, bringing this person um, into the church. So I'm interested in this, understanding of faith that, that you're describing here because when i say the promises of christ are my objective assurance mm -hmm. i'm not saying my personal subjective subjective strength of trust in those promises is my assurance i'm saying those promises are my assurance right so there's a difference there between between looking inside my soul and saying, do I have enough faith? And looking at Jesus say, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast away. Whoever, whoever, if you're thirsty, come and drink and you'll have the water of life. Those are objective. I think those are just as objective as, as baptism. There's a, there's a standing out there. So I, I, what I'm having a hard time doing, maybe for this way, is what's the difference in your mind between the objective promise of Jesus that he receives everyone who comes to him without, he doesn't say, and you have to have this level of faith and you have to have, 
and oh, I hope you have. I mean, he he constantly he constantly trolls his disciples by saying you have little faith because <laughs> they have little faith. Um, so, yeah. so, so I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a mount thing. It's just come to me, right? Um, so what's the difference between that and trusting in in your in your baptism? I, I, I'm having a hard time with that distinction. Yeah, so um, we all believe, both of us uh, believe that not everyone will be in heaven or in the renewed creation uh, yes. to, to correct uh, what N.T. Wright has corrected because I, I, the idea of just going into, um, <laughs> into the renewed heavens and earth. So the promise is there, but there is a condition upon it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not for everyone. Um, and I'm not even getting into the sort of question of tulip or limited atonement. That's not the, like, we could go that route, but I, I think this is an issue regardless of whether or not you believe in limited atonement or to what extent. So how do I know that I've received that promise? So if I'm relying upon the, the fact that I've received that promise based upon my own subjective understanding of faith of how I, like, how I've received it in faith, are we talking about one time? Are we talking about throughout the entire life? Because I, I don't know. And then you have to deal with the fact of like, for instance, uh, oh, was it First Timothy or Second Timothy uh, has that little creed, if we deny him, he will deny us. But if we are faithless, faithless. he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself, right? So that question for me is like, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So even when I'm faithless, that means that that's not necessarily kicking me out of the kingdom. It's a denial of, of Christ that kicks me out of the kingdom because I'm walking away. Is, that's, you know, that goes to the question of apostasy, obviously. So what is that promise that I'm grasping onto during those dark times? It has to be for me baptism because I don't understand how I could have faith in my faith. And, and I know you wouldn't frame it that way, but that seems to be the only way it, it makes sense to me. But it, I can't have faith in my faith, especially during those dark times. I can only have faith in the promise that Christ gave to me. It's, it's stronger than the promise of a wedding ring, right? That's often the analogy that's used. Yeah, it's much stronger than that because it's Christ himself is faithful and he, he's not going to say, well, you're not loving and faithful enough, so I'm going to take away the ring. No, it's there always. So that's how I sort of see baptism. So the question here of, of faith is an interesting one, because I, mean, I, I, I guess the reason that promise for me would be relief and assurance is because I would say, well, I haven't renounced him. Mm. I, I'm not, I haven't apostatized, right? So, so that promise is for me. Right. So, um, and that's, I guess that's subjective. I mean, I, I'm, uh, but I mean, well, that, that is subjective. Yeah. That same thing would apply for you too, though. Right. Cause if you apostatize, you don't, your baptism doesn't, doesn't count. The, the, the objective assurance of baptism won't count for you if you renounce Christ. Right. Yeah. But that, at that point, I don't care, obviously, because it's an act right. of rejection. Yeah. <laughs> right. But see, but see, if I'm care, if I'm, if I haven't renounced Christ, those promises are for me. Right. I mean, they're, they're not, they're not for anybody else. I mean, yeah. For, okay. So yeah, no, so not... that, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Because oftentimes people sort of condition it upon faith. That's that's the language that's often used. I'm sorry if you wanted to say something else beyond that. No, no. I mean, I, I, I maybe my definition of faith is broader than yours. Um, okay. Because my definition of faith is it's not a feeling necessarily. It's not a. Mm -hmm. It's not a. 
oh wow, I'm having this wonderful moment with Jesus kind of thing. It's it's um, it's just that you're you're in him. You know, you, you, it's it's. I, I'm a convert. I'm not, I'm not sure if you are, if you grew up in the church or what. How how you? I grew up the son of a Baptist pastor. To... Yeah. Okay. Okay. So did you have a did you have a moment where you where you said this in his prayer and? Oh, about uh, literally hundreds of times. Okay. The, the independent fundamental <laughs> Baptist uh, culture is that once you get to your preteens, you start praying the sinner's prayer every night and you cry yourself to sleep because oh, man, you're not cool. sure that you're actually <laughs> saved. No, this, this is yeah. one reason I'm actually happy I was raised an Episcopalian. So, so I, I didn't have the torturous, uh, torturous. Oh, it's horrible. Bit like that, uh, but I mean, I also didn't have the gospel, so so there was there was there was that. Um, but I I, I I became a Christian in my twenties. Uh, I mean, I remember the moment. I this is a common conversion story. Got down on my knees, asked Jesus to forgive me and and accept me and and take me in as his own. And you know, since then, of course, I've gone through periods of deep sinfulness, uh, deep doubt. I don't think I've ever had a, a completely black night of the soul, right? Where I don't think he's there at all. But I've gone through serious periods of total dryness. But I guess I never associate those things with my faith because I never got to the point where I said, "Well, I'm done with Jesus, and I'm casting this whole thing off, and I'm going to go shack up with my secretary." I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't I've never done that. Praise um, God for that. Yeah, right, 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 right. So I guess I guess um, I guess I might have a we're really working with two different understandings of what exactly faith is. Whereas what I would say is if you've come to Jesus by faith and you look to those promises and you believe them, and I'm not saying even how hard you believe, just those should those give the those give the assurance to everyone who hasn't apostatized that he's drinking the living water. He's he's been washed. He's been washed by the blood of Christ. You have. Uh, you're in the kingdom. You have all the promises. There's nothing for you to, you can have this existential worry and fear all you want, but the reality is Jesus made this promise to you. He's faithful, even when you're, like you say, faithless. Mm -hmm. So I get, yeah. So I guess all that to say, I mean, my, my understanding of his promises functions the same way as your baptism, your understanding of baptism does. You can, if you want to address what I said, uh, I have one more question. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, um, I, I, that, that, I appreciate that better. I would just say it seems that since Scripture differentiates faithlessness from whatever we want to call apo like apostasy, I think, whether or not we agree on exactly what that is. But for now, let's just say there's this thing called apostasy, right? And those are two different things. The, the if we deny him, he will deny us. Thing, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I want to make sure that those are kept separate. So I don't want to say that... I'm relying upon my faith because St. Paul tells us that even when we have no, or when we are faithless, when we have no faith, right, right. Uh, he's still faithful. So I, I, that's why I want to make sure that I separate those two. So there is the act of walking away, which is the apostasy, however that's worked out. You know, that, that can happen to, in, in a sense, it happened to anyone. But the faithlessness part can happen to uh, anyone as well, but you still have Christ, despite that, do you do you think in that text? Here, here's I was, I'm going to hold back on the other question I was going to ask and ask this question instead. Okay, because because in like the are you familiar with the Lordship Salvation controversy? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so within the within the um, the Lordship Salvation camp, faithfulness is the fruit. 
of it being of being yeah. justified, right? And faithfulness isn't just faith; it's obedience. It's yeah. It's conforming your life to Christ. All of those things are are the fruits of being justified. And if you're not being faithful in that way, if you're being, then you may not be a Christian. And you should go, you know, say the Jesus prayer again. I guess I'm not sure, but <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not a lordship salvation. I'm not a lordship salvation guy at all i'm not a cheap grace guy either but i'm not not a worship yeah. salvation guy so i that word faithfulness i don't like that word as an equivalent of faith or fa- i don't like yeah. faithlessness as an equivalent to not having faith because it could just mean being disobedient being mm-hmm. being wayward right that israel was faithless toward toward yahweh in the covenant and and yeah he was still faithful mm-hmm. to israel so I don't know. I don't know that I would use that text necessarily to describe someone who has no faith, actual faith, like trust, since it can, the faithfulness has a broader thing. What, what do you think about that? So I would say, like the apostate has no faith either, right? So it, it's not no, just yeah. that. Yeah. So it's not just like, well, they have no faith, but like that's okay still. It's, you know, and it, it, it's something that ultimately you have to know yourself, right? Um, so someone could have the outward signs that uh, can fool anyone and everyone, right? But it's not, like going into the inner self now, I have no faith, let's, I mean, I do, but like I, I have no faith, but also I am just rejecting God, all right? And maybe for, you know, as a priest, maybe just for, you know, the financial benefit or whatever, I'm like, well, I'm keeping my job, like I'm doing the John Shelby Spong thing, but being a bit right. quiet about it or something, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so I, I, I differentiated that way for that specific reason. If, if that answered your question. Yeah, that helps. That helps. Okay. That does help. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think we, then we both agree that you can be faithless and still be assured of. Yes. I think would, of, of, of Christ's promises, you through baptism, me through the promises of Christ in the scriptures and baptism. I, was, I mean, not, I don't say you, I don't think you shouldn't look to baptism as an assurance. I'm just not, I'm just saying that, that there's a precursor to baptism that I think, from my opinion, you, in my opinion, might be missing. Your faith in, or your assurance that comes from baptism. Mm-hmm. The reason you can have that assurance in baptism is because before that, logically before that, you have faith in Christ who made the promises that apply to baptism as you interpret them. I mean, we might, dis- we might disagree about what Jesus said about baptism, but, but you, you, you trust in Jesus. And because you trust in Jesus, you can believe what he said about baptism, right? Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it be fair then to say that really your, your, your assurance lies the same place mine does, which is in the objective promises of Christ. Uh, it goes back to the question of the uh, who are those objective promises for? It's not that like you know, so someone could, you know, you could. It's feasible to believe in, that someone is like, yeah, I believe the promises of Christ are true. I just reject them. You know, I mean, I guess you could say Satan believes that, right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and trembles, right? <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not just enough to believe that those promises are true. It's to believe that they are true for you. Agree. And so, yeah. yeah. And how do I know that they are true for me? Because Christ has given that to me objectively in baptism. So I can look to that. I mean, another uh, Baptist 
culture thing, which is horrible, but is still done, is like the guy, the, the kid will get baptized at seven after making a profession of faith and then get baptized at 10 and then get baptized at 12. That's horrible. That's horrible. Um, yeah, and just get rebaptized every time because you have to get baptized after you say the sinner's prayer. That's how it works. So, um, you know, there, there's that. Can I ask you just to uh, just take a break from our? Were you baptized more than once? Or yeah, I was baptized. Quote baptized three times, I think. Yeah, wow. three times. Uh, the first one obviously is the real one. That's the one I look to. Um, that's the one where my uh, my Roman Catholic grandparents gave me a King James Bible with my name on it. Um, I wish I still had that Bible. I lost it at Bible camp. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. No. I. Uh, I. We. Again, this is all kind of new to me being in being raised in Episcopalian, mm. but we had people in our church who. Well, it was the majority of the people in our church right now are former coming out of evangelicalism and some out of more yeah. more fundamentalist evangelical traditions. And yeah, I mean, like the if you fall into sin as a teenager, like I mean, okay. Right. What kind of teenager does it fall into sin? Um, and, and you know, oh, I, you know, maybe my, maybe, maybe the Jesus prayer didn't take. So yeah, yeah I've got to say it again. I've got to, I've got to say it again. Walk down the aisle again. Mm -hmm. Raise my hand and close my whatever again. And then yeah. if, if that doesn't take, I've got to go to the spiritual retreat and throw my pine cone into the fire and have yep. stress. It's, it's just, it's just torture. And I, it's like, it is. I can, I can see why. Anglicanism, uh, regardless of whether this is, I think, would apply to Reformed Anglicanism, like I, I, I would affirm, and more high church mm -hmm. Anglicanism. I, I consider myself high church, but more, how would you describe yourself? Lutheran Anglican? I would say I, I, I'm comfortable with Anglo-Catholic. I, um, I know that some people think of that as like Roman Catholic with, with uh, Anglican patrimony, but- No, you can even justification faith. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I, I reject the Roman understanding of justification, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, I can see why both of the, these traditions within Anglicanism would be a huge comfort for mm -hmm. anyone coming out of out of that kind of pressure cooker of mm -hmm. of do you do are you holy enough do you believe enough are you you know uh, I think uh, my friend my, my colleague on Stanford podcast was you know, this last time this last show was reminding us of the the account where Jesus goes to the man who's lame by the pool of Bethesda and he and you know the man wants Jesus to help him get into the pool because right? yeah. uh, I've got to be able to get in the pool and, she, and Jesus is like, no I'm, I'm here I, I will heal you 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 don't it's not you getting into the pool you don't need to get in the pool I'm gonna I'm gonna fix you and I think a lot of evangelicalism not all of it I don't mean to to to, to uh broad brush but a lot of evangelicalism is about how, how you're going to get into the pool and you don't you don't do that. Jesus does that work for you. So can I say something about that real quick? Yeah. Really quickly? Yeah. All right. So um, this is where I think that, um, and I've heard others say this, especially some Lutherans, this is where at least Rome has the sacraments. This is why you'll see so many evangelicals go to Rome. You know, usually often like Lutheranism or Anglicanism uh, have a pit stop there and then go to Rome. And yeah, oftentimes people are like, well, where's, you know, one of the issues is justification by faith. And they point like their own upbringing is very much a works-based upbringing where right. they are denying like the, at least with the sacraments uh even as rome understands them you get some sort of objectivity of forgiveness of sins where you have no objectivity of forgiveness of sins in the modern american evangelical realm so i think that that's why so many people flock to anglicanism 
to Lutheranism, and then uh, many also eventually go to Rome or the East. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. I can say it too. I think you're right. I mean, in fact, the people I've known who have gone to Rome describe it in just that way. This kind of I, I don't have to fight anymore because we have the Magisterium. You know, I don't have to. I'm not, I don't have to. Uh, it's not about me at all. I can just rest in the authority of the church, and um, so yeah, I can I can totally see that that process. So. Um, so just kind of, so I know we're kind of running out of time here, but I, but um, just to sum up where we disagree, I think it, it would be, I think that the promises of Christ is our assurance. That's that's our objective assurance, and I know that they need to be received by faith. I, I agree with that, but from my perspective, so does baptism, and even the and from my perspective, even the belief that baptism is your assurance has to be something that you believe by faith. So, so it's, it, you're you're always it's at the end. I I would say thrust back to these promises that Christ gives as as the objective means. From your perspective, I think you describe your perspective as opposed to that, just so we can kind of sum things up. <laughs> yeah, surely. So for me, it is I know that uh, by the point of baptism, the person is regenerated they can from there reject the regeneration by apostasy but they do not need to rely upon being quote faithful enough or having a, a enough good works or anything like that uh, that that's again you know we agree on that part yeah. but the point is that the thing that i can look to is something something that happened in time and space that i can point to and say this is something that was done to me that is a, objectively proof that I've received those promises from Christ, that those, those promises that come from Christ don't happen to everyone for whatever reasons we want to give, but I know that I have received it because I've received baptism and those are the, it's, it's tied together. They're intricately tied together. Okay, that's very helpful. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say I, I received it because I haven't apostatized, but, but this I think I think we both kind of end in the same place of having assurance in something beyond ourselves, and I wouldn't I wouldn't deny at all that baptism provides assurance. I would just say that that's there's something prior to it that is the greater the promises of Christ that stand behind baptism are the greater is the greater source of assurance. But anyway, this has been a really great discussion. I, I really appreciate you. I mean, I think I, no, I really I, appreciate it too. Yeah, I love the um, all the all the interactions we've had. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed being on your show. What is your, your it's barely Protestant? Barely it? Protestant. That's a, a nickname I got from um, an Eastern Orthodox friend of mine when I was still Baptist looking into Eastern Orthodoxy, but then ended up becoming Anglican. So uh, I just, it just stuck, now, so I call it that. I'm sorry? You're pretty Protestant now, though. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm historically Protestant, uh, right. which is what I think it is. Some people argue against that, especially with, like, baptism or regeneration. But, like, it, it's so clear in Luther, and it's essentially, I would say, it's essentially the same thing that Calvin has. Uh, maybe a bit more loose on when the regeneration happens, but you can be That's, sure yeah. of it. Is, but, right. Yeah. Well, um, it sounds like Hooker, too, actually, in what you're, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. oh, definitely. Um, oh, yeah. Um, so, so who's an Anglican theologian for people who don't know who that is? Yeah. Um, um, but anyway, well, we, we are out of time, but I really thank you again for, for coming on and I appreciate your ministry and you, and, uh, we will continue, uh, having this disagreement probably until we're in heaven and then Jesus will tell us which one is right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so.
Thanks, as always, for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to James Gadd for being our guest. J.D. Koch, Matt Kennedy, and I will, Lord willing, be back together again next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm-hmm.